A name that many of you have heard me mention before is the name Steve Hayner. Steve was a friend and mentor of mine, and one of the things that he helped me with to try to do is develop what we called a philosophy of leadership. And one of the things that Steve and I would talk a lot about is how easy it is for leaders, whether it's in the church or politics or anywhere else, to lead by telling people who and what they were supposed to stand against. It's easy, he said, to stir up people's emotions when you outline what they don't like and then point to it and say, let's not do that. But one of the things that we would often talk about is that as tempting as that can be at times is that if you want to build something in life that lasts, you can't build anything based on what you're not. You have to know what you're for. You have to know what you're about. You have to know what you stand on. In this election season, you and I have been bombarded with messages that tell us who and what we should stand against. Like you, I got to see one or two political ads over the last month, online, on TV, in different places, and there was a ton of money and a ton of time spent on these ads, and I didn't see any ad, and they probably existed, I'm sure you can find one and look it up, but I didn't see any other than an ad that said, here's why my opponent is completely unfit to be president of the United States. And that, that attitude and that spirit was just bled right over into our electorate. Now listen to this. This is a crazy statistic. In the history of this country, over 200 years, we have never had a president who on the day of their inauguration had higher unfavorable ratings than favorable ratings, Right? And that makes sense. It's logical. It's hard to get elected president of the United States or president of your civic club if more people don't like you than like you. It usually takes you working for a couple of hours before people figure out they don't like you. In this election, we were guaranteed to make history because every candidate running had a higher unfavorable rating than favorable rating. We were clear about who and what we were standing against. There was actually a voting station in Maryland that on the day of the election was handing out clothespins to people waiting to vote so that they could pinch their noses while casting a vote. And they asked him in the interview, they were asking one of the volunteers who was passing out, they're like, is one candidate getting more clothespins? Who's winning the clothespins vote? And they're like, oh, everybody's taking clothespins. It doesn't matter who they're voting for. The person said, pretty much everyone voting here is really clear who they don't like. I think that's part of what people on both sides of the aisle is contributing to a lot of the anxiety that many of us feel. Because it's hard to know what's going to happen when all we've heard is who and what we're supposed to be against. So I would like today to take a couple of minutes to suggest to you all that when we leave this place today, I want this community and our other three worship services to be crystal clear as followers of Jesus of what we stand for, of what we're about, of the things that we are pursuing, not the things we're avoiding or standing against. Because when we talk about thy kingdom come, we are called to be builders of this kingdom. And so to lead us into what it is we're supposed to lead here today and to stand for, we're going to look at the book of Revelation this week and next week. And yes, we're still a Presbyterian church looking at the book of Revelation. It can happen, okay? Two weeks of it, we're going to do it. It's only two verses today. We're going to ease in, okay? We're going to ease in. <laughs> Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. 
This is the final chapter of the Bible. Listen to what it describes the kingdom of God is to be and we're to be about as citizens of the kingdom. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that as we investigate your word and your call upon us as Christians in this unique time in history, teach us what we're about so that we can live for you and live with a purpose as we leave this place today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So very simply, what I want to suggest to you is in this vision of the kingdom, that there is this river that is flowing through the kingdom of God, and there's this enormous tree, and it's so big at the base that it actually straddles the river. It's the tree of life that is on either side. There's one tree on either side of the river, and it says that there's leaves on this tree, and that the leaves of the tree of life are for the healing of the nations. And very, very simply is that if you and I are called to live as citizens of the kingdom of God in this time and place, then we must be people who leave here crystal clear that we are called to the work of healing, healing this nation, healing the wounds that exist here. And that is not some romantic term that we just pull back and go, oh, we're healers. That's great. Isn't that nice work? Any of you who have been in medicine or doctors or nurses know that healing is not just easy, passive work. That wounds, you don't just hand, stand back and go, I hope it heals. But you actually have to go towards the wound. You have to go towards the broken. Sometimes you have to do the messy work of, of cleansing it and cleaning it out before healing can really take place. And we live in a time where human beings are running away from the pain and the brokenness and moving away from it and it makes them uncomfortable. And you and I need to be people who are like first responders moving towards it, moving into the brokenness, moving towards the pain, moving towards the division, because healing is not going to happen if that, and that is long-term messy work. That's not like try these things this week and we think it'll happen. That's like over time, this is the kind of stuff we need to be doing in this city and beyond. Because the kingdom of God is where the nations will be healed. And I want to suggest to you today that there are four things, at least four things, very practical steps that if you and I are going to work for healing, that you and I must be about. These are steps every one of us can do wherever we live, work, and play. And I invite you to consider what this looks like in your own life. And we're going to bring the list up here. And the first thing is this. We are called to be people who, if we're going to be about healing, we've got to pursue relationships. I can't tell you how many stories I've heard recently of people avoiding other people because of differences in this time and place. We need to be instigators of relationships. And we need to be instigators of relationships with people who approach life differently from us. Because here's one of the things about human beings, and this has been as true as long as human beings have been around, is that we love being with people who are like us who look like us and think like us and vote like us and raise our kids the same way and we send them to the same schools and have the same values and it's just so great because we're just so right. As one sociologist says, we have created uh, and franchised that human desire in our day and age because technology in a very unique way has allowed us to self-select our relationships and our input right, and the information that's forming us. We can, we can defriend people on Facebook if they don't agree with us because, like, that'll show them, right? Uh, I'm not your friend anymore. And it's rampant out there right now. We have, we have, we have um, 
what, what input where news, we can choose what news we listen to, what blog sites we go to, what podcasts we listen to. And study after study after study shows that we choose the news that we get and the blog sites we watch and the podcasts we listen to based on do we agree with them or not. So we can choose news channels and, and online sites that all they do is reinforce our point of view. Technology has allowed us to do that in a, in a, in a whole new way. And as this sociologist writes, here's what it's creating. He said it is creating echo chambers of our own self-righteousness. We are living in echo chambers of our own self-righteousness where we just see the world the same way and everybody should see it this way and how could anyone not see it the same way we do? And as followers of Jesus, these kinds of echo chambers of our own self-righteousness, no matter how right I am, should disturb us because we choose that out of our sin. As Christians, we should be disturbed by this propensity that all of us have to choose homogenous, like-minded relationships because we sacrifice something in that. I think it was most, what the sacrifice is best found by a guy named Bruce Larson. I've quoted this before, but because it's not my own quote, I can quote it again because it's very wise. Bruce Larson is a retired pastor of a church in Seattle called University Presbyterian Church. And Bruce Larson, when their church was going through a time that was threatening to split it apart and people were different on these issues, Bruce Larson said every single Christian, every single follower of Jesus has to make a fundamental choice about the kind of church you want to be a part of. He said, do you want to be a part of a church where you're told you're right? Or do you want to be a part of a church where you can grow? Because the two of them, he said, are mutually exclusive. And most people, if we're honest, we would really just rather choose a church where we're told we're right. Where everybody sees life the same way and we can all just go, we're just so right. And how could anybody else think or vote or imagine that following Jesus looks anything differently than this? So here's the deal. If you are perfect, if you are the perfect spouse and the perfect citizen and the perfect employee and the perfect manager and the perfect boss and the perfect son and the perfect sibling and the perfect daughter, if you are that, you should go find a church that just reinforces your perfection. If you are like me, and on a couple of those areas have a little bit of room to grow, that growth won't happen if you are surrounded only by like-mindedness. Growth and being reinforced and our points of view are mutually exclusive. As you all know, I'm a big proponent of small groups. Small groups have influenced and changed my life. The worst small group I was ever a part of, ever, was a group of three of my best friends in Atlanta. Three guys, four guys, there was three others. And we got together and we were gonna be a small group and we love Jesus and we're gonna talk and we're gonna live into each other's lives. But here's the thing, it didn't work over a couple of years because we saw everything the same way, right? I would walk in to this group and maybe like once in the years we met, Beth and I had a minor disagreement in our marriage, right? It's only one time. But we would walk in and I would like tell these guys what was going on or tell these guys about what had happened and I would tell them about what she said and what I said and then this happened and this happened. And they would all look at me going, man, I don't know what's wrong with her. You're just so right, and she's so wrong. And like, how could you ever think anything differently? And I'm like, I know. How could anybody see this differently? And what I needed was someone looking at me and going, you said what? You did what? Like, 
it's nice to just have our viewpoints reinforced because we just know what's right. We need to grow as followers of Jesus. As Paul writes, we see in a mirror dimly, all of us. And so we're not perfectly right on everything we think, even the stuff we're most convicted by. When we get to heaven, there might be one or two of our deepest convictions. The Lord will look at us and go, you missed that. That's why we need a Savior. Do you want to be a part of a community where you're told you're right, or do you want to be a part of a community where you can grow? In our increasingly polarized world where we are surrounded by echoes chambers of our own self-righteousness, a place like Covenant is increasingly rare and increasingly important. We have diversity here of theology, we have diversity of politics, and now is the time not to retreat or just tolerate that, but we need to lean into it, to listen to one another. If you don't know anybody that thinks or votes differently than you, join a small group. If you're in a small group, you're not telling the truth to each other. If you don't think that there's differences in viewpoint there. This is a time we celebrate and pursue relationships with people who think differently, vote differently, act differently, approach life differently, see following Jesus differently. And you and I must instigate that. We can't wait for it to come to us. We need to pursue relationships, diverse relationships. Second, related to it, we need to listen in these relationships and listen to one another with humility. We need to listen in humility. And I, I invite you to listen to this because when I look at our world today, I think it is this point, this second point, that has led us more than just about anything else to where we are today, is the inability to listen and listen well to one another, to listen to differences. Because anytime somebody gets challenged, we just pull back and go, well, that's just not how I see it, so I unfriend you. We need to listen with humility to other viewpoints. Think about what's led us before the election, for example. No matter where you stand in these things, this is what probably more than anything contributed to election day, is people in, in, in large numbers in this country who felt like Washington doesn't listen to them, who feel like elites don't listen to them, who feel like the college educated or the uh, however you define elites, they don't listen to me, I feel undervalued, I feel like my voice isn't listened to, and I'm tired of it. I'm tired of being overlooked as people fly over the country over me. Now, you might look at that and go, well, I just don't agree with that. That's, but that doesn't get us towards healing. That doesn't get us towards reconciliation. That doesn't change anything except increase the echo chambers if all we do is go, well, that's just not right. I heard someone who's on a news broadcast who was a Trump supporter about a month before the election saying, you should see the things that happen anytime someone mentions that they're going to vote this way, that people just cut them off in their own self-righteousness. I'm like, oh, oh that's interesting. I go on Facebook right afterwards. Now, I'm not a big Facebook person. I just need you to know that. If any of you try to contact me on Facebook, I'm like once a month. I'm just not into it all that much. I'm glad you are. I'm just not into it all that much. But I went on Facebook that afternoon, and someone I am very close with in Atlanta, this is weeks before the election, someone I'm very close with wrote on their Facebook site, if you are planning on voting for Donald Trump, I would ask you to defriend me because you have nothing of value to say about my life. Wow. And this is a guy who's in the Chamber of Commerce in Atlanta, in a position of significant leadership. We live in echo chambers of our own self-righteousness. 
We need to listen if healing is to take place with viewpoints that don't feel heard and haven't feel heard leading up to this election for a long time. It's not enough just to go, I just don't see it that way. Likewise, since the election, we need to all hear different voices who since election day have experienced and expressed a desire to be heard because they're frightened, because they're worried, because they're not certain that their voice will any longer be welcomed at the table of where they see potentially our country going. And we must listen to that as well. Our reaction to that cannot be, well, I just don't think that that's reasonable. We have to listen. Because there is, there are stories and statistics that even since the election day, the Southern Poverty Law Center and others have said that there has been an increase in the amount of hate crimes and an increase in the amount of stereotyping and targeting people because of who they are or are perceived to be. And that is not just something that's happening on Facebook and Twitter. I got permission to share this with you all. On Wednesday, the day after the election this week, I was confronted by this here at Covenant. Because there is a woman that has been a part of this community for many years. A woman who was first affiliated with Covenant because she worked here. Her story is that she immigrated from Guatemala about 20 years ago. And as she came here and came to Guatemala, she worked several different jobs. And one of the jobs she worked was as a child care worker here at Covenant. She worked and loved our children on Sundays. She worked and loved our children on Wednesdays. At the same time she was working this job, she was working other jobs. She, over the course of several years, got her high school equivalency, graduated from high school. She enrolled in a local college. She began taking classes at this college while working several other jobs. She became a United States citizen in that time, took the citizen step, passed it. This is an American success story. This is a story all of us ought to be proud of. She is only a couple of classes away from finally graduating from a local college here. And on Wednesday, the day after the election, she got out of her car to go to class. And in the parking lot, a walk she has done before, many different times, had someone walk up to her and throw hot coffee on her in the parking lot and say, it is finally time for you to go home. She is home. She is home. And that is something that we must hear and listen to. We must recognize that this is real, that something has been stirred up in our midst. And it is not a democratic policy, it is not a republican policy, it is not a liberal position or a conservative position to look at that and say that it has no place in our city, in our community, or in the kingdom of God. And there are elements of race that are all tied into this, and that has to be named as well because that has been stirred up. And let me give you an example as to why, as we have had conversations about race and racial reconciliation. The issue of immigration is not a theoretical one for me. It is not a theoretical one for my family. My wife is an immigrant. My wife has a green card. My wife works with the INS. Whenever anybody makes a talk about change, maybe even good change to the immigration system, my family is all ears at that point because it directly affects us. I don't worry 
about anyone walking up to Beth and throwing coffee on her as an immigrant and telling her it's time to go home. You know why? Because she's white. The person that did that doesn't see my wife as one of those who's supposed to go home and instead targeted a U.S. citizen. We must listen to these voices. We must listen to these voices. All of us can unite by listening to these voices and saying that every voice, every voice that is feeling as though they're not heard, and there are people on both sides, we must hear, we must listen, we must do the hard work right now of paying attention before we start speaking and going, well, I just don't think it's going to work that way. As followers of Jesus, this is our call. And healing can't happen until we do that work of listening and do it again and again and again and again. We must form relationships with people that are in different places than us so that we can grow. We must listen well and with humility to the voices of other people who feel that they are being left out. Whether you agree with it or not, we must listen and have the humility to do so. Thirdly, we must be a people of prayer in this time. And prayer is not a passive thing. That's not like, oh, well, he's got to say that because he's a pastor. No, we need to be people who are of prayer. The Scripture calls us to pray for our leaders. You and I, all of us, must be praying actively and daily for our president-elect. We must be praying for him. We must be praying for the the vice president-elect. We must be praying for their cabinet. We must be praying for our governor. We must be praying for our mayor. We must be praying for the protesters who are protesting outside in our city and in other cities around the country. We need to be praying for the people who are feeling maybe hopeful again because maybe their voice after this election can finally be heard and they won't be looked down upon. We are in a time where we see people and we categorize them and we stereotype them and we see them in categories either similar or different from us. It's hard to stereotype people you're praying for. It's hard to categorize people if you're actually praying for them. Prayer doesn't just change the world. It changes our hearts. It changes our attitude. We need to be people who are praying for the people and the groups and the the positions that are held. What would it mean if when we saw people protesting or voting or taking a different position, our first response was to pray for that person and to pray diligently for them? And finally, lastly, we need to be a people who in this time don't despair. We can't despair, friends. The gospel of Jesus Christ has overcome far greater things than the election of 2016 in the United States of America. Okay? And so when we sit here, and there are times you can pull back and go, I just don't know what's going to happen, and I don't know where this goes, and I don't know what it's going to mean, and we can feel that anxiety building up inside of us. We need to remember that the tomb is empty. That our God is the God who brings hope and life out of broken places and dead ends and dark times. That our God is a God who brings new life and revival and rejuvenation in all kinds of areas that feel like that they are confused and, and entangled and no one knows what to do. This is the cornerstone of our faith. There were many important things on the ballot in this last election, but Jesus Christ as Lord was not on the ballot. That still reigns. That still is supreme. That still is true. Now, that does not abdicate us from responsibility. We have a lot of hard, long-term healing work to do, but it means that we do not labor in this work in despair, that we have hope 
Not that our nation might be healed, but that the kingdom of God is on the way and the leaves of the tree of life are for the healing of the nations. We are moving towards a day when our nation shall be healed. And so it gives us the motivation and the sustenance to do the hard work of the gospel as healers that you and I have been called to do in this time and in this place, wherever we live, work, and play. So go forward today. Go from this place today in a time when everyone is focused on who and what they stand against and don't like. Crystal clear about what we're for, what we're about, of the actions we are called to take. And as we go on this journey of healing and reconciling, the Lord will use us to change this world. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we ask this day that you would bind up our wounds. that you would send us into a broken and divided world, not to just get by, not to tolerate, but to be agents of healing through the hard work of relationships and listening and prayer. And we go to do this work confident of your faithfulness to bring healing to our nation and to our world. We pray for this and pray for the day when true peace will reign. In your name, amen.